I was just reading um, a little bit of an excerpt of, of a book um, this week, and it just simply says, 50 reasons why it's good to be a man. I only got to the first couple of pages. I was thinking a little bit of Father's Day, you know, but, uh, but I wanted just to just, to just give you a couple of, ins, you know, a little kind of uh, illustrations maybe why, why, why this book said it. Uh, and it just says, if, if, if another guy shows up at the same party in the same outfit, fellas think it's funny. You can go to the bathroom without a support group. Is that true? I don't know. Um, you can drop by and see a friend without bringing a little gift. <laughs> Just a few little insights of why it's good to be a bloke sometimes. They're not really kind of that endearing qualities, but I just thought I'd read you one or two on this Father's Day. I hope some of you have got a few plans. Some of you have got something special lined up or already had it. I don't know. But we celebrate, uh, you know, Father's Day. And um, it seems a bit, a bit odd today with regards to what I'm going to be talking about, but it's kind of conspired to be today. Uh, and my hope is that you will, all, um, you will all be influenced by what's going to be said today. And I've thought long and hard about it, thinking, is it the right occasion? And is there ever a right occasion to talk about these kind of things? And I think, of course, there are. Uh, the Bible covers all subjects and goes into detail about many different things. And other things, it doesn't quite go into the depth that you want it to. Now, you might be surprised to know, um, you know uh, that the Bible is quite, uh, well, it's pretty steamy. It's a steamy, it's a steamy book sometimes. And as we have been journeying in these last few months, we've been looking at theological issues, we've been looking at theological and doctrinal truths, and we've been looking at contemporary issues. And today, we've landed on a contemporary issue that I think is relevant to all of us. Uh, and, and, and I wanted to say that, you know, uh, th there's a book in the Bible that really kind of creates a lot of interest and has done through the millennia. Uh, and because, as I said, the Bible sometimes is quite steamy. I've said that twice now. Songs of Songs uh, in Hebrew, and Songs of Songs is a book in the Bible. It's just a few chapters long, uh, but it's, a, it's, it's love poetry. It's really good. And it's there for a reason. It's, it's a, it's, it depicts, really, the, the beauty and the, the mystery of sexual love within the context of marriage. And it's, it's quite a potent read. So, if you're brave enough to turn with me today, I'm going to turn to a portion of Scripture that we don't often read from. But I thought, well, it's the Bible, so why not? Are you all excited? Are you all feeling nervous? Because I guarantee you're not as nervous as I am. <laughs> songs of songs, and this is, I've tried to tone it down a bit by bringing a, a kind of less kind of uh, steamy part of Songs of Songs. But it's there in the Bible. And most people are surprised. They go, it, what? that's in the Bible. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something about this subject that God thinks is really, really good for human beings. So Songs of Songs, verse, chapters 7, verses 7 to 10. And this is, this is the depiction of a, a man and a woman in intimacy and in relationship. And it says these words. Your stature is like that of a palm, and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said I will climb the palm tree, and I will take hold of its fruit. 
May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. May the wine go straight to my beloved, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I belong to my beloved, and my beloved is mine. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Now, any talk, uh, and I'm not going to be in any way, shape, or form giving an in-depth understanding of relationship and marriage and sex, you can't do that in 25 minutes. But there's an element of me wanting to bring some truths about a contemporary issue that I think is relevant not just to young people, but I think is relevant to all of us at every stages of our lives. And I think sometimes we have to be a little bit brave and honest and real about some of these subjects. Because when we talk about them, we have to be very sensitive and we have to be wise and we have to be full of grace because not everyone has a uh, background that may be, be the best in, in these issues that we're going to talk about. And so the idea of me bringing just a few thoughts on this is not to point a finger. It's not to try to create a gap between them and us. We're all trying to get there. We're all wanting to be more like Christ. And I think the Bible gives us some very practical kind of insights, especially not just to our young people, but also to you know, every one of us here today. I've watched the TV over the last couple of days and uh, I've looked at uh, some stuff on the internet and uh, before I made the statement that I'm gonna make now that it seems we're in a day and age where almost, almost anything goes. Anything goes. You can watch it now on BBC or Channel 5 or 4. It's now just mainstream normal. You go, wow, really? Anything goes. Do what you want. Wherever you want. Do what you feel is right. And all of that sounds wonderful and liberating. And I want to suggest a few things from the Scriptures to help guide us through I'm not going to call it a tricky subject because clearly God celebrates and created sex for a reason and relationships for a reason. And he, he believes it's good and it's a good thing for human beings to be involved with. I remember Pastor Gordon Neal, and he was my senior minister when I was an assistant at Derby. He once told me of this talk that was given to him by his pastor uh, back in 1971. And uh, he remembers every single word that his pastor said to him on that talk on sex and relationships. And because he, there were only two words in the whole sermon that he brought that night to the young people. So you can imagine this uh, fairly old fella standing at the pulpit and then uh, standing in front of the young people. And these are the two words that he said to them. He said, sex, no. And that was a sex talk for the young people back in the 1970s. And that was, as, uh, that was as creative as it got. And all the questions that you had be be before sex, which is, well, what? you just don't go there. Leave it be. When Helen and I got married in 1993, we were virgins. Has that got your attention? We were virgins. Now, I'm not going to say that that is something unique because my hope is that many of you may have been in that position. Many of you may not have been. And I'm not saying it to gloat. It wasn't by chance that we were virgins. I was 24 years old. And I was a young fella. I'm not going to sit here going, 
It was a breeze, and it was easy. But I do want to say some things concerning after 29 years, why we came to an understanding. We, we had a great wedding. We had a fantastic after wedding with regards to, you know, a, a Bretzel Priory. We had a great meal. We had all the trappings. Helen had a lovely dress, and, you know, I looked all right. But, you know, it was, you know, it was a great occasion. But we made a decision, I think, because we wanted to give to one another something that was more than all of that stuff. We wanted to give to something. This is what I would want to say to young people today. It's not a you must and no, you can't. It's there's something so incredibly precious. I'm going to even say romantic, like the songs of songs. Something that is so intimate, something that deserves nobody else's attention other than the person. And we wanted to be in that position where we gave that to one another. I can't think of anything more romantic. You may may differ on that day. And that's not to blow trumpets, it's not to signify, but we made that a foundation stone, and it has been a foundation stone for 29 years. It's helped us. Was it easy? No. We had to make choices and we had to make decisions. And let me tell you, over 29 years, you have to make those choices and decisions not once. You have to make them again and again and again and again because you meant what you said on that day or you try to mean what you say on that day. Now, I don't know about you, Uh, Maybe it's just me, and I'm going into some very interesting ground now, if you don't agree with me, because it'll be me sat on the stage all by myself. Don't laugh. I don't know about you, but for me as a 16-year-old new Christian from Sheffield trying to navigate the minefield of sex and relationships, it was, well, complicated. Complicated. What was I meant to do with all those feelings and thoughts inside? What was I meant to do with all of those things that were driving me? But here's the thing. I didn't only ask him this when I was 16. I've been asking, what do I do with them even now at 50 and 40 and 30? That's why this talk is not just to the young people or, or those people in this situation. It, it's, it's applicable to every one of us all the time. From the beginning of my faith journey, I was sincere and I wanted to do the right thing before God in the way that I lived, but I didn't always know what was right and what wasn't right as a 16, 17-year-old. And I felt like the Bible was a little bit ambiguous sometimes about some of these areas concerning relationships. And I had some questions, Uh, questions like, when is it okay When is the right time to go into a relationship? I remember as a 16-year-old myself asking this question, is it okay to kiss someone when you're not going out with them? And here's the one that I find I wanted to drill into a little bit more simply because it's a very practical question. Uh, When I'm in a relationship, how far is too far? Why do I say that now? Why do I think that's applicable? Because I think that question is applicable to the 16-year-old Steve Kempton. But I think it's applicable to the 53-year-old Steve Kempton. 
I really do. I'd look at the Bible as a young man and, uh, and I'd talk to my friends in the youth group and, and I'd have lots of questions. And I found that the Bible had a lot to say about marriage, and that's another subject, but not the precursor to, you know, all of the feelings and the thoughts that we went through before you got married. So the Bible used to say things, and I used to think, honestly, I honestly thought that it had something to do with eggs when it said, don't be unequally yoked to non-believers. I had absolutely no background in church, and I had absolutely no idea what that meant. So I'm just trying, I was trying to contemplate theologically as a 17-year-old, trying to go, yoked? Of course, it just meant that, you know, it's always better to go out with a Christian rather than a non-Christian. I'm not going to say better because, you know, people are nicer and, you know, or whatever. It just simply means to say that when two people are going in the same direction and heart and passion and soul, the Bible gives some very clear advice of how we should do that. It's not a condemnatory thing. It's just more of a case of, you know, it's a good thing to consider when you're in a relationship that people are going in the same direction with regards to faith. I think the Bible is very helpful on those kind of things. I, had, I understood that the Bible taught a lot about sexual intercourse is exclusively for marriage. But what about all the other stuff? Um, it seemed complex to me. And, and if it seemed complex to me, then I have an understanding that it must be complex to young people and even older folk today. Now, I didn't have Snapchat, uh, sexting, or Tinder to deal with. I'm just impressed that I've actually said that in a sermon. <laughs> I didn't have all that stuff to deal with. And the few things that were clear to me back then concerning sexuality and gender have become increasingly challenging today, even within the life of the church. As I was saying, we are in a minefield today with regards to sex, relationships, and how we navigate this day and age. It's not easy. There are no easy answers. Grace, mercy, yes, all of those things are important, but we have to navigate through these things. We have to navigate well I have a huge amount of respect for youth leaders today because they are dealing with things that, you know, many of us never had to deal with as young people, ever. Um, helping others to navigate through these great questions that many young people have today is one of the greatest leadership challenges of our time. It really, really is. So this morning, rather than directly answering questions like how far is too far and how or do we enter a relationship and when do we know things are right, these things sometimes are a bit direct and they're good to ask direct questions. But rather than answering these questions in a direct way, I think it's more beneficial today to give young people and to give folk in general some biblical tools to answer these questions for themselves. Because whilst as a teenager, I almost resented the fact that the Bible didn't answer my big relationship questions explicitly, I came to understand that the Bible actually does something far more helpful. 
Instead of speaking directly to those questions, it gives us a number of filters through which we can pass any relationship question and find clarity. And I'm just gonna give you three filters. That's all it is, just three simple filters that helps us make clear decisions or can help us make clear decisions. First one is, is it pleasing to God? Is it pleasing to God? I'm not just talking to a teenager now or anyone who's in that position where they're asking questions about relationships. I'm talking to all of us now. Is what you're doing pleasing to God? Is what you're watching and looking at, is what you're ruminating over pleasing to God? The reason why I never found probably a satisfactory answer to the how far is too far question is because the Bible gives no framework for a life that seeks to get as close to sin as possible without sinning. It doesn't say, this is how far you can go and then it's all right. It just says, stay away. It's not how far can you go, it's is it pleasing to God? A Bible verse. In Ephesians 5 verse 10, Paul writes, find out what pleases the Lord. It's a very simple thing and you can brush past it. Find out. He doesn't say it will come to you. He says, find out what pleases the Lord. So instead of taking our relationships questions and asking, is it sin or how far can it how far can we go? I would encourage young people and all people to rather ask, is it pleasing to God? What we are giving time and attention to. Not how far, but should I begin the journey in the first place? So the first filter is, is what you are doing or will do, is it pleasing to the Lord? I think how far is too far is a lifelong question. If you're at work, if you're in any position where you are engaged with other people, there can always be a tendency to think maybe things that you shouldn't be thinking. How far is too far? And is it pleasing to God? Second filter is, is it worship to God? Now, I find this a really helpful scripture. Most of us will have read it before, but I want to read Romans 12 verse 1 to us. It says, therefore, I urge you, or Paul is saying, I beg you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, that's really interesting. So according to Romans 12:1, our true and proper worship has nothing to do with the songs that we sing. It is worship. I'm not saying that it isn't. But really in this context, Paul's saying it's nothing to do with worship, whether we sing songs. It's what we do with our bodies. It's what you do and I do with our bodies. Because it's not just offering our moments of 10 minutes to worship Jesus. He's saying, no, no, your spiritual act of worship is what you do with this. This. And it matters. 
Because then we can ask the question, is what I do with my body worship to God? Is it worship? Does it bring glory to Him? And I have failed many times in this. And I am so, so thankful that He is gracious and merciful and forgiving. I do not fall and fail in the places that I did as a 16-year-old. I've grown since that time. But there are things always around me that desire to have me. Sin, it says in Genesis, is crouching at your door and it desires to have you. And you must learn to master it. Now, I've got a master's degree. You'll be really happy to all know. But it doesn't help me when it comes to this. This, I have to get another master's degree, which is I need to master my body. That's a master. That's what it tells us in Genesis. Now, if it's true that our bodies are offered in worship, and it is true because the Bible tells us, then I would want to encourage every young person to consider what they're doing with their bodies and ask the question, can I offer this as a pleasing act of worship to God? Can I? But I would also want to encourage every single adult here today to consider what they're doing with their bodies and ask, can I offer it as a pleasing act of worship to God? So the second filter is, what are we doing with our bodies? And is it worship to God? Is it? So it gets rid of the, is it right or wrong? It's a different question. It's about understanding the heart of God and the heart of worship, that it involves not just our singing or our attendance, it involves this one thing here, which is our greatest asset and one of the most disappointing things that we have. Because it takes us places that we often regret. That's what our bodies do. But they're driven by the heart and the mind, which is also part of the body. And this is why the heart and the mind, the body only follows where the will wants it to go. So what are we, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is noteworthy, think about these things. The third filter that I would encourage us to look at, not even just as teenagers, but in all aspects of relationships and whatever it might be, is asking the question, is it wise? Is it wise? Is it wise? The final filter is to change the question from, is what I'm doing wrong and is what, to, to is what I'm doing wise? Is it wise? It's a slight tweak of the question, but I think it gives a really different answer. For example, uh, should I, as a young person, lie down under a blanket on the sofa with my girlfriend or boyfriend and watch a movie? Is it wrong? Well, I guess not. But is it wise? Is it wise that I stand next to the water cooler at work and stand and talk to the same guy or girl all the time because something's drawn? It, no, it's not wrong. But is it wise? It's just a very practical filter to think. Ah. Maybe say, here's what to do. I would want to encourage all our fabulous young people 
to take their big relationship questions, such as how far can we go? Should I date a, a non-Christian or a Christian? Uh, should I send a provocative image of myself to a boyfriend or a girlfriend and pass them through these kind of filters? Well, is it pleasing to God? Is it worship to God? Is it wise? Uh, and I would suggest even now that the whole purpose of this is not to make people feel bad. It's not. These are simple biblical truths that from this point we can take hold of. We have an incredibly gracious and merciful God. I know it to be true because in all of these areas at some time I have failed. I'm on a journey. I want to become more like Christ. But I've understood that the questions is not how close to the edge can I go before it's called sin. It's why go to the edge? Why do that? And that is applicable to every single one of us today. And if we can help our young folk do this in a day and age when anything goes, pressures are upon them, but they're also upon every single one of us because popular culture just says, if you can get away with it, get away with it. If you can do it, do it. If it feels good, do it. These are not biblical traits. The biblical trait of denial doesn't seem very popular. The biblical trait of deny yourself and die to yourself, well, this isn't really kind of, this almost seems a little bit kind of obscure, but this is the pathway that we are called by Scripture to seek to follow. And we will sometimes take wrong turnings on that. And we have to offer grace and mercy. We also have to learn from the things that we go through. Some of them are very painful. And I'm not looking to simply be glib or just say things that just seem kind of a quip and a throwaway statement. When it comes to relationship, it involves vulnerability, pain, brokenness, all of these things we can carry. My driver is simply to allow from this time onwards some simple biblical tools to help us. These are filters that stop us in our tracks to say, is what I'm doing pleasing to God? Is what I'm giving my body to worship to God? Is what I'm involving myself with, is it wise? And I think if we employ these simple biblical filters to our lives, you will find that the question of right and wrong doesn't really, you don't get to that point because you, you, you arrive at a decision way before you get to the act of doing anything. That's why they're there to filter. Now, am I, am I going to say, did you enjoy that? I don't know. But let me tell you as well, just to conclude, God created sex. He thinks it's great because he created it. Within, people call them boundaries. I think they're more like the, 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 within, the, within, the, within the realm where they can be enjoyed to the maximum. And that is 
what we read in Songs of Songs. Let me take you into the king's chamber. Let me whisper and tell you things. It's not for anybody else. It's for you and the person who is your beloved. Can there be anything more romantic than that? Can there be anything more enriching than that? And yet we are walking in a world that is fallen and we can be broken from it as well. And so if that is not our norm and that's not where we are, I want to be able to say that there is a pathway forward and there can be a way where we can renew relationships, where we can make right decisions and we can choose to do the right thing. And it's not always wonderful, but God has a plan in this whole area of relationships. And I've not even touched the, the tip of the iceberg, but I would want of all of our young people as well at this time and age to take hold of maybe those filters. Is it wise? Is it pleasing? And is it worship to God? They're really practical tools. Lastly, I would say, I have never in all my life been embarrassed to say that I was a virgin when I got married, ever. I think it is, I think it is just a beautiful thing that almost people think you're a prude or weird to even suggest that you should be in that, oh, no, I can honestly tell you today that it remains one of the greatest gifts that I've ever given. And if we are not there, and that's not our story, God is gracious and merciful, and it can be just as wonderful. So there's no condemnation, but why not aim high? Why not? Why not aim at that? If there is a, an overflow of this, it's, you can't just say, amen, let's carry on. I recognize that these kind of talks can sometimes open wounds. You may disagree, or you may have some thoughts that you want to share. I'm here. I want to come alongside. I want to pray. Maybe you're in a marriage that, that's not where it should be. I, I'm not the marriage maker, and I'm not the marriage keeper. That's what he does. Marriage is a divine institution. But I'm an ear, and we can be an ear, and we have people who can be an ear to talk about some of these realities and pains. But time has gone, and, uh, and I'd like us just to stand at this time, uh, and, and we're going to pray, and we're going to pray for our young people. We're going to pray for relationships within our church. We're going to pray through the minefield of the many questions that are asked. And they're good to ask difficult questions. We should never be afraid of difficult questions. Sometimes there are just some difficult answers to difficult questions. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence amongst us. It's been a delight to dedicate a really fabulous young man, Murray. But at the same time, we almost want to come and say, Lord, is it possible that we can dedicate ourselves afresh to you? Married, not married, wherever we are, young, old, whatever place we are in our lives, in our relationships, we just ask, Lord, I, I want to, 
allow these simple filters of, is it worship what I'm doing with my body? Is it pleasing to you? And is what I'm doing now wise? Is it wise? No pointed finger, just honesty, being real, and then a willingness, Lord, to engage with one another. Help us, Lord, to talk if we need to talk. Help us to knock on the door. It's okay to knock on the door and say, could you just give me some advice or help me or pray with me? Some, Lord, stuff we need to stop doing. And it's not with a hammer we're doing that. We know that in our hearts. Give us what Paul writes to Timothy. He calls it self-discipline. And it's not easy, but it is a spirit of self-discipline. It's not me stopping. It is a spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to do what we want to do in our hearts that our body just dominates on. So, Lord, help us to walk before you holy. Because really, this is holiness. We're set apart for you. And we pray for our young people This is not an easy season. With all that is part of popular culture, it's hard. Grace and mercy, we want to pray for them. We want, Lord, always, Lord, uh, to have a listening ear, and we commit them to you as we commit ourselves to you. How far is too far? Hmm. How far is too far? Well, Lord, when it comes to the pursuit of you, we want to go as far as we can. Thank you for this opportunity to be together today, and we pray your blessing upon everyone listening on the internet, Lord, and YouTube, as well as, Lord, everyone in the building. And may your blessing be upon us as we go into this fabulous remainder of the day. And everybody said, Amen.